0: Andreas Kestenberger, one of the most notable New Testament scholars of our age, who teaches at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina, wrote a blog this week which caught my attention. He says this, and I don't know if you know this, if you've read this at all this week. Kestenberger says, remarkably, this year the dates of Easter week Coincide exactly with those of the final week of Jesus, according to most likely estimates. That is, Palm Sunday, as we celebrated it last Lord's Day, was on March 29th, A.D. 33, just like last Sunday. And each of the days in between last Lord's Day and this are all the same. Sunday, March 29th, Jesus triumphantly enters the city of Jerusalem, mounted humbly on a donkey in keeping with prophetic messianic prediction. He later predicts his impending death and teaches at the temple, March 30th, Monday. Jesus curses a fig tree, symbolizing spiritually barren Israel, and cleanses the Jerusalem temple, possibly for the second time in prophetic fashion. He thus acts as the one who is going to restore proper worship as the replacement and fulfillment of the temple. Tuesday, March uh, March 31st, Jesus teaches his followers a lesson about the fig tree he cursed the previous day. He continues to teach on the temple grounds and engages in various controversies with the Jewish leaders. He also predicts the future preceding of his return in his Olivet Discourse. Wednesday, April 1st, Little is known about Jesus' whereabouts at the midpoint of the week. The Gospel narratives only mention the unfolding plot by the Jewish authorities against Jesus. But this is only the quiet before the storm that is brewing, and that will certainly shortly turn into a hurricane. Thursday, April 2nd, Jesus and his followers engage in preparations for celebrating the Jewish Passover, Jesus' Last Supper at which he institutes a new covenant with his new messianic community, the remnant of the new Israel. Judas, the betrayer, leaves the upper room and Jesus instructs the remaining 11 apostles in some depth. Later, Jesus agonizes over his impending death in the Garden of Gethsemane. Subsequently, Peter denies Jesus three times in keeping with Jesus' earlier prediction. Friday, April 3rd. After nightfall, Jesus is betrayed and arrested He is subjected to trials before the Jewish and Roman authorities. At the beckoning of the Jewish leaders, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, pronounces a guilty verdict against his better judgment. Jesus is crucified. Saturday, April 4th. The Jewish Sabbath extends from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown. Nothing is known about the whereabouts of the disciples. Most likely they went into hiding for fear of the Jewish authorities. The latter asked Pilate for permission to secure Jesus' tomb. Sunday, April 5th. When several female disciples of Jesus, including Mary Magdalene, approach his tomb, they find it empty. Later, Jesus appears to Mary as well as ten of the apostles and several others. This is the Lord's Day. Resurrection Sunday. April 5th. Today. 1,982 years ago. You imagine, I hope I'm around when I'm 73, for the 2,000th year of celebration in 2033. This is history. This is what we believe. This is true. It's a fact beyond doubting. And yet, you know that the vast majority of people in our world do not believe that Jesus Christ actually arose from the dead? Multiplied millions of people around the globe reject out of hand any concept that Jesus rose bodily from the grave. Now, you would assume that would very well be the case in our secularized culture, but did you realize that Many remember that even in the church, there are those who reject the literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Yes, even in the professing church. Not just the secularists of our day. The late James Montgomery Boyce referred to a poll 30 years ago, 1985, I'm sure the statistics are much higher even today, tragically. He says in this poll that it showed that among ministers without a seminary education, without a seminary education, about 40% did not believe that Jesus was raised from the dead bodily. 40%. Among those who had some seminary education, the figure was higher, around 60%. Seminary graduates were in the 70% range. But, James Montgomery Boyce said, if, God forbid, one had gone on to take a doctoral degree, the percentage of unbelief was in the 80s. So much for so much of theological education today. Denying 80% of those who have graduated from such seminaries, denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, they would say Sunday, April 5th, 2015 is just any other day. It's not significant. You Christians say that you worship the resurrection of Jesus and that it happened on April 5th, A.D. 33 and I say poppycock. It didn't happen. Your faith is worthless you ought to believe in the Jesus of faith but not in the Christ of history because he didn't exist and certainly if they believed that there was a Jesus who existed a Jesus of Nazareth and that he might have been in plausibility killed because he claimed to be the king of the Jews but certainly Certainly, if indeed there was a man like that, he never arose from the dead. That's foolishness. I want to take you to Mark chapter 16. And I want you to read the very, very short account of Jesus' resurrection. This is, this is a true account, and it's the shortest, I think, of all of them. And when we read it, I want you to ask yourself the question, do I believe this? We read from John's Gospel. Now this is Mark, chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint Him. And very early on... You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. But go, tell His disciples and Peter that He is going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him, just as He told you. Now maybe there are those who say about us, well, you're just country bumpkins. You would believe anything if it were told to you. But in my heart of hearts, with open eyes to the truth of investigation, of eyewitnesses, of the apostolic message that Jesus Christ is alive, I believe. I believe. I wouldn't be in the ministry if I didn't believe that. This is bound up part and parcel with my whole life, with my calling with my gifts, with my desires, with the proclamation that Jesus is alive. And if I may this morning, I want to challenge you. If you believe that, but sometimes you doubt, or sometimes you wonder, I want to underscore the tremendous significance of Christ's resurrection for all of us. We could say that these three points that I want to give you this morning underscore the very significance of your faith and mine. And I want to show you these three things from the Scriptures. It's going to be a very, very simple message. I hope not too long because it is warm in here. And I want to give you a sense of the momentous significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the first of these three points. Number one. Number one. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is significant because it shows Jesus' triumph over Satan, death, and hell. It is significant because it shows Jesus' triumph over Satan, death, and hell. You see, when we read Mark's account of the resurrection of Christ, did you catch the significance of the angel's statement in verse 6? Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. He's not here. He's alive. And apart from the reality of that statement, the phrase, my friends, is just loaded with theological truth. And what it shows us is that Jesus the Nazarene was no mere man. For no mere man, whether He was named Jesus of Nazareth or somebody else's name, if He were to be raised from the dead after being crucified, then this one, Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth and who taught in the temple as a rabbi, as a teacher, and who then proclaimed that He was the King of the Jews and who was unjustly tried and then crucified, and then buried, and then raised from the dead, is no mere man. Because the testimony of Scripture is that He is risen, He is not here. And it couldn't have been anybody else. It could not have been anybody else but Jesus of Nazareth. And you know that the only way that you and I can affirm this truth is not simply because we read it off the pages of Holy Scripture, as important as that is, but we also have the internal witness of the Holy Spirit who testifies to our spirits that Jesus of Nazareth is alive. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24 and I want to show you three times in Luke 24 what Jesus does for these disciples on the road to Emmaus. We know the name of one of them according to verse 18 of Luke 24, Cleopas. We don't know the other, but... In verse 13, the Bible says that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they had a long journey. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Boy, wouldn't that have been a journey. But notice verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that a strange sentence? Their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And presumably, for what we are about to read, it was Jesus Himself who kept them at that moment from recognizing Him. Verse 17, "...and He said to them, "'What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk?' And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? They're incredulous. And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that He was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. Remember Mark's Gospel? They were amazed, alarmed. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find His body, they came back saying that they'd even seen a vision of angels who said that He was alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see What was Jesus' response? Verse 25. He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a sermon! What a teaching that would have been. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And verse 31, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Now, how were their eyes opened? Because He opened their eyes for them. He allowed them to understand, my friends, only God can do this. Only God can open the eyes of unbelievers, of those who are slow of heart, And notice their reaction, verse 32. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. You see, the reason why they affirmed the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead was because Jesus preached the Scripture to them and then he embodied that entirety of who he was in the breaking of the bread and the giving of the cup. And he opened their eyes to understand even the fulfillment of what that meant. And they believed. Verse 35. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then Jesus appears to the other disciples. And in verse 44, then He said to them, These are My words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about Me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then verse 45, for the third time, one, He kept them from recognizing Him. The second time, He opened their eyes so that they could recognize Him. And then thirdly, verse 45, then He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And you know that's Acts 1.8 and following. Do you know why there are those who go to some seminary or all of seminary or all the way through to their doctoral level and deny that Jesus is the Christ you want to you want to know why because the lord doesn't open their eyes to see the scriptures and he doesn't open their minds to understand that Jesus has been raised from the dead and i dare say it is undoubtedly due to their unbelief their unbelief they don't believe They simply do not believe. They don't understand the significance of the resurrection. But do you understand the significance of the resurrection? If you do, if you affirm and believe that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, it is undoubtedly because your eyes have been opened and Jesus has made you understand the Scriptures, even the Scriptures that we've read today. And do you know what you find when you read those Scriptures? When you read those scriptures, it ties the reality not only of the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus from the grave, but it also tells us that Jesus, as that resurrected one, has power and authority over Satan himself, over death itself, and over hell itself. And is that not a comfort to us? I don't want Satan around my life. I don't want to think that upon my death I'm going to hell. And therefore, I believe in Jesus Christ as the resurrected one from the dead because Jesus and His resurrection is so significant that Jesus has the power through His resurrection life, through His divinity through His relationship with the Father and through the power of the Holy Spirit to vanquish Satan, to vanquish death, and to vanquish hell itself for believers. Not for unbelievers, for believers. You say, show me this, show me this, tie it to the resurrection. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. I want to show you some passages. We won't go through a lot of them, as is my usual manner, but we'll go through Hebrews 2 and we'll see how... Jesus has vanquished Satan, the risen Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children, that is mankind in general, share in flesh and blood, He Himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise partook of the same things. He took on flesh. He took on humanity. Why? That through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death That is the devil, and deliver verse fifteen all those who who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Who has the power of death? Who has the power to destroy the one who has the power of death? That is the devil. The only one who can defeat him, Jesus Himself the one who took on flesh and the one who was dead, but the one who is alive evermore and he has the power to vanquish Satan himself, the one who holds the power of death in his hand, the prince of the power of the air. This is what Jesus came to do. Look at 1 John chapter 3. You can write these passages down and you can meditate on them and see what our Savior is doing The resurrected Jesus, the Christ. 1 John 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Notice this. The reason the Son of God appeared... And it's not just appeared in Bethlehem as a baby throughout His entire righteous life, including His death, and now including, of course, His resurrection on this very day, April 5th, A.D. 33. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. You and I do not have to fear the ultimate power of the death-giving Satan himself. We don't have to fear Satan. Through the resurrection of Christ, he has vanquished the devil. He's come for the very purpose of destroying the works of the devil. And Hebrews 2 says that that kind of death that unbelievers have, it's the kind of death that keeps them in lifelong slavery, it says. Slaves of death. Have you ever talked to anybody as an unbeliever about death? Death? It's an amazing, most of the time, conversation. Often they don't even want to talk about it. They don't even want to actually refer to the word death, the concept of death. They want to talk rather of someone's passing. They want to speak of the beyond, the by and by. They want to use unbiblical terminology because to speak about the reality of death and what death is and what death does and how death is the end of this life, and yet even the beginning of another, including even the reality of suffering and pain and punishment, oh, they don't want to talk about that. And I understand why. Because there's a cruelty to the idea of the punishment of death inflicted upon those unbelievers who deny the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a hideous thought. And yet for believers, for us, we affirm the resurrection of Jesus Christ, its significance, because it shows us that Jesus is the victor even over Satan himself. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. This is the section of the 1,000 year reign of Christ. And in chapter 20, verse 10, this is what the Bible says. And the devil who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, this unholy trinity, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You see, there has to be somebody who's higher in authority and power to place them in that place where they will be tormented forever and ever. This false trinity, the devil, the beast, the false prophet, and where they go and their consignment there forever has to come from a power that's greater than their own. And that power is the resurrected Jesus Christ. He has the power over Satan. And not only that, he has the power over death itself. Look in your Bibles at Romans chapter 6, verse 9. This is, this is God's confidence giving to you. Be confident today, my friends, That God has given you a significance to this resurrection. His resurrection from the dead. And if you're a believer, here's what you can affirm. Romans 6 verse 9. We know, Paul says, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know that if you consider yourselves dead to sin, dead to its power, dead to dead to its penalty, you can also affirm that there is life in Christ and that you have life in Christ if you know Christ and you will be raised with Him. you realize that? Co-resurrected with Jesus Christ. Isn't that what Ephesians 2 says? We've been studying that on Sunday nights. We are co-resurrected with Jesus Christ from the dead. It's a wonderful thing. It's wonderful to celebrate today because it just gives us one more nail in the platform on our way to the journey of heaven. This is this is a phenomenal day for Christians. It's a day of rejoicing. In fact, every day. But this above every day, Eric Sauer who wrote in the triumph of the crucified, without the bodily resurrection, no thinking man would ever have believed upon the crucified one, for his end would have contradicted his own prior announcements of his resurrection and triumph. That's right. That's right. It would all have been foolhardy. It all would have been totally unnecessary, and you and I would be dying in our sins upon our coming to death if Jesus Christ had not been raised from the dead. He has the triumph over Satan, and he has the triumph over death, and he has the triumph over hell. In Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. We have the certainty that Jesus Christ, raised from the dead himself, has victory over hell itself. Revelation 1:18. Jesus says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. A euphemism in this context for hell. Write therefore the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. Write it down, John. I hold the keys of death and I hold the keys of hell I was dead, but I'm alive evermore. And I hold the key. I alone hold the key. So significant. The resurrection of Christ is so significant because He has the power, the authority, the keys to vanquish Satan and death and hell. That ought to be a tremendous comfort to you today. Secondly, not only is His... Resurrection significant because it shows his triumph over Satan, death, and hell. But it's significant because it provides us the climax to our own salvation. It's, it's the apex. It, it's the climax to our own salvation. You say, how so? Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans 10. This is, this is sort of our, our gospel message. Here it is, Romans 10. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. This is the gospel, folks. Verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God, what? Raised Him from the dead. If you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be delivered. You'll be delivered from your sins. For, verse 10, with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses. Confesses the resurrection of Jesus Christ and is saved. See, if you confess the resurrection of Jesus Christ as true, it happened, it's real, it's not only a part of history, but it's also true in the reality of my own heart. The Holy Spirit testifies to me of this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you confess with your heart, you say with your heart, that He has been raised from the dead, you shall be delivered. That resurrection of Jesus Christ is the very climax, the apex of the very salvation that you and I profess to a watching world. Jesus Christ is alive. Now, if you go back to those who say, I'm not so sure. Uh, The evidence doesn't seem that compelling to me. Oh, but maybe this. And there are theologians in droves who would say something like this. Well, yes, I do believe that historically, even outside the Bible, uh, there was a man, Jesus of Nazareth. It can be attested to even by uh, social historians and by historians of any other stripe. Yes, I do believe there was a Jesus. And I do believe he probably was killed uh, by the Jews at the hands of the Romans. Yet, if you're telling me he actually rose from the dead, that God somehow miraculously moved a stone out of the way and that they secured it as best they could, and yet Jesus arose, and then they saw these linen cloths, and that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. No, I can't can't fathom that. I can't agree with that. And maybe there are even some of those outside the doubters' camp, the critics, who might even be in the church camp, and say, yes, I believe some of the Bible, and some of it I don't, and this is a part that I don't believe the Bible. That Jesus Christ raised from the dead, I don't think so. Well, did you know that the Bible says that if you're one of those, even one of those in the church camp that says something like that? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. This is the good news, which you received, Corinthians, in which you stand. This is the ground of your standing with God accepted by Him and by which you are being saved, delivered from your sins, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is first. This is number one, folks. First importance. What I also received, Paul said, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He's alive. I tell you, He's alive alive. Someone says, "Eh, it's hard to believe. I mean, I, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. Here's Paul's word to you. Now, verse 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? He had doubters. He had critics. He had cynics in his own day. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul says, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And he says further, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also, there are those who have fallen asleep in Christ and they've perished. If in this life only we've hoped in Christ, we're of all people most to be pitied. Oh, those poor Christians. Pity those Christians. They preach a message that isn't true. They say Christ was raised from the dead, but He wasn't. And if he wasn't, then your preaching is in vain. And if your preaching is in vain, you're actually misrepresenting God because you say God raised Christ from the dead. But oh, if it is true, if it did happen that Christ was raised from the dead, then your faith is not in vain, then you're not misrepresenting God, and that you are delivered from your sins and you will be raised one day with Him. Leon Morris, the first Christians were men who had passed through the shattering experience of that first Good Friday when Jesus died. They had their hopes in Him, and His death came as a hammer blow. But then there came the totally unexpected resurrection. They took a little time to readjust themselves to this new fact, At first, they found difficulty in believing it, but once they became sure of it, their whole outlook was transformed. The message of the resurrection runs through the whole of the early preaching. It clearly gripped the imagination of the preachers, and they proclaimed it with power and conviction. They believed, and they preached. You remember Doubting Thomas? I I have to see it. I have to touch Him. I have to see the, the spear mark in His side. I have to see the nail prints in His hands. And when Jesus showed Him, He said what? My Lord and my God. And you know what Jesus said? You saw Me, Thomas, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. That's you. That's Me. I did not see His prints. I did not see those nails. I did not see that spear scar in his side. I didn't see it. But that's why Peter says, even though you do not see, yet you believe. And it is a joy unspeakable because we see it through the faith that God has granted by opening our eyes. If you and I had been on that road to Emmaus and if we had been saying to this man who was suddenly walking beside us, do you not know what's happening these days? Do you know, Jesus, we thought He was the King of Israel. We thought He was the one who was going to vanquish our foes. And yet He died and they put Him in a tomb. Do you, do you not understand this? And then when Jesus preached, it would be like you and like me. He opens our eyes to understand the Scripture and to understand who He is. And when we see and when we believe, we say this, though I have not seen Him, I believe. Yes, it is 2015. It's not A.D. 33, but Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. It's like the British Lord Justice Darling who was at her dinner party and the subject turned to the subject of Christianity, especially the resurrection. He said, quote, We as Christians are asked to take a very great deal on trust. The teachings, for example, of Jesus and His miracles If we had to take all on trust, I for one should be skeptical. The crux of the problem, whether Jesus was or was not, what he proclaimed himself to be must surely depend upon the truth or otherwise of the last, final, and greatest miracle, the resurrection. He paused for a moment and went on. On that greatest point, we are merely asked to have faith. In its, fla- in its favor as a living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world examining the evidence could fail to pronounce a ver- verdict that the resurrection story is absolutely true. Just try it in court. Just look at the evidence, positive and negative, factual and circumstantial, and no jury in this world, no intellectual jury, no jury worth its salt would ever render a verdict except this, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Thirdly and finally, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is significant because it guarantees one day that you and I will be resurrected. (laughs) That's that's the creme de la creme. That's the icing with the cherry on top. It's not just that He vanquishes vanquishes Satan on our behalf and death and hell. And it's not just because it's the apex of our own salvation, but actually our own resurrection from the dead. You and I, bodily speaking, will be one day raised from the grave. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe. I read to you 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. This is what the Bible says. But in fact, right where I left off, We're not of all people who are most to be pitied, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, that's Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, that's Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Do you see that? We are alive now. And when we die we'll be more alive than we've ever been. Do you believe that? I mean, our bodies are breaking down. I can tell mine is. And when I come to die, my death for me will simply be a novel experience. Because the moment of my death, in the twinkling of an eye, I will wake up into the presence of of my co-resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll be more alive than I've ever been. And so will you if you know Christ. This is our resurrection of Jesus from the dead that guarantees our resurrection. That's what I said in Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2. That's what they say. He's been raised from the dead. We shall be raised from the dead. 1 Thessalonians 4. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We are going to be raised bodily from the grave. Romans 8.11. It assures us of that fact. It says it. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, that's the Holy Spirit... Holy Spirit of God, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and the Holy Spirit will raise you one day from the dead. That's what the Bible teaches. It's not just a blind faith. It's because God has opened our eyes to understand the truth of who Jesus is. His death, His burial, and His resurrection from the dead. And He accounts for the great climax of our own salvation. And He guarantees that we too will one day be resurrected from the dead. That's the significance of the resurrection. That's its great significance. And there are a thousand more significances. I'll close with this. The story is told of a British soldier who was struck down in the Battle of Inkerman as the account reads, he was just able to crawl to his tent, where he later died. When found, he was lying on his face, his open Bible before him. His hand glued to the page by his own spilled blood. When they found him, they lifted his hand and looked into his palm. The letters of the printed page were clearly traced upon it. With the verse he was reading on his hand, they buried him in a soldier's grave. The Bible verse was this, I Am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Is that your hope? Is that your hope of the resurrection? You say, "Well, I'm, 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 I'm still a little bit skeptical. I'm not sure." Well, isn't it so wonderful that in the providence of God, I received this book in the mail just yesterday by my good friend, Dr. Brian Morley, who's a professor of philosophy and apologetics at the Masters College. And he told me this was coming. And when I turned to the very first page, I read this. On March 9th, 1974, Lieutenant, Japanese Lieutenant Hiro Onada, walked out of the jungle on a remote island in the Philippines, finally convinced that World War II was over. 1974. 29 years after World War II had ended. Trained as an intelligence officer in guerrilla warfare, he was told to survive at all costs. No matter what happened, his superiors would come for him. Just a few months after his arrival in 1944, the Allies overwhelmed Japanese defenses, and Hiru's band of five hid deep in the jungle. This is in the Philippines. Surviving on what they could find. When the war ended, many attempts were made to find and convince the remaining soldiers to come out. Newspapers and even letters from relatives were left, which they found, along with leaflets. But how could the war have ended so quickly? And why were there spelling errors in the leaflets? Hero's own brother even came and attempted to speak to him over a loudspeaker. The band considered each piece of evidence and always concluded that the enemy was trying to deceive them. One by one, they died. The last one after 27 years in hiding, leaving Hiro alone. Finally, a Japanese student tracked Hiro down and befriended him. He could not surrender, Hiro explained, until his commanding officer ordered him to do so. The student returned to Japan, and the government found his commander, now a bookseller, who returned in his tattered uniform and personally gave the order. Hiru, still in his uniform, with sword on his side and his working rifle in his hand, was relieved of duty and wept. Philippine President Ferdinand Marcos pardoned him for the approximately 30 people he had killed over the years because the soldier had believed he was still at war. Hiru returned to a world vastly changed realizing that his beliefs had been completely wrong for 30 years. Kiru, Dr. Morley says, illustrates the problem of belief, what to accept as evidence and as valid explanation, how to weigh assumptions, and much more. He says we make such complex decisions in our own lives over both minor beliefs and major ones, and we all come to and hold the most Crucial beliefs of our existence, our worldview, entailing whether to believe in a God, how to live, and what to do about an afterlife, if there is one. There could not be a more important question, he says, than how we are to decide what to believe. So what do you believe today? Do you believe in the physical, literal, bodily resurrection Of Jesus Christ from the dead, and not only that, but because he's raised from the dead, he will one day return to judge the living and the dead. And you might be like this Japanese soldier holding out for 30 years of the rest of your life, not quite agreeing and believing with mounting evidence, but if you do believe, and when you do come to die, You'll be raised with Jesus Christ bodily from the grave because He is our Savior and Lord. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we rejoice that You are our Savior and Lord. You indeed are the resurrected One. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that there would be no one here who would reject the personal, literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from that grave on April 5th, A.D. 33. To Joseph's tomb where none had lain, they carried him whom foes had slain. Men set a guard, men sealed the stone, men left him there to sleep alone. The Sabbath passed, the first day came, and Mary turned to hear her name. While Salem slept, the mighty dead had risen from his rocky bed. In him our hope, our longing are, who is our bright our morning star. We love you, morning star. And we thank you that as you are raised from the dead, it is for our justification. May we proclaim this message for the rest of our days and will one day be resurrected ourselves to praise you forever and ever. In Jesus' name. Amen.